Amen. Another wonderful special by the Kalinko brothers. And uh, I've been blessed. Of course, I, I never know which one to say thank you to. <laughs> you know, they're very polite brothers and uh, they, they respect the, uh, the, the COVID uh, restrictions and they only come to church one at a time. I've noticed that. Well, would you uh, open your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 13 and also to Mark chapter 6. So give you just a moment there. We're going to be needing both those passages. Matthew 13 and Mark chapter 6. Today, I want to speak with you about faith, the power of faith. Oftentimes, we don't realize that there's a lot of power in faith. Now, in your home, you have uh, power in your pipes, water power, hydraulic power, and it's sitting there and it's under pressure, 55, 60 pounds per square inch or something, and it's waiting to be used. And what you do to use it is you turn on a tap, you open the faucet, and then whoosh, out the power comes. A lot of power in water. Hydraulic power, apparently, they say, is stronger than pneumatic power. That's the power of air. Compressed air has power, uh, but compressed water has even more power. They call that hydraulic power. But there's definitely power there. Outside my home, they, they installed a fire hydrant, which, which makes the, the firemen happy and the neighborhood dogs happy. Uh, it's sitting out there very, very close to my home, and it has a hundred PSI power in it. And that's actually a bit too much for household pipes. Uh, so that they, they say about 55, some, something like that. I have a next door neighbor. He's a professional plumber. He's the one who told me that. It's about 55 PSI is what they like. But there's a lot of power in the pipes. A lot of power in your electric wiring too, isn't there? And the power is waiting there to be used. And the way you use it is you flip on the switch. You got an on switch for it. And we came in this morning and the building was dark in, on the inside. And the way we fixed that was we got the power in the electric wires working for us. And we turned on the on switch. Well, I'm here to tell you, faith is something like that faucet tap or that electric on switch and we need to learn to turn it on every day faith is not something that you just it just sits there and waits until someday we have this big emergency no we're to use faith every day how in the world is the church of the living god supposed to operate in a world full of covid-19 how in, how is it that we can assault the gates of hell. How can we do that? According to Matthew 16, how is it? We can overcome the world, the flesh and the devil. How is it possible? Well, it's done by faith. Romans 1:17 says the just shall live by faith. Hopefully that's us. The just, how are Christians supposed to live within a, a COVID-19 world? How are we supposed to live and please God? Are we supposed to just kind of hunker down and wait out 
this COVID-19, something like a, a bad thunderstorm. We just run in our houses and close our doors and pull the, the blinds and we just wait out a thunderstorm until it's over. Is that what we're supposed to do with the a world of COVID-19? And the answer is no, no. Our circumstances have changed over the last six months. Everyone knows it. We're keenly aware of it every day, but God has not changed and he is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. And COVID-19 does not hinder the work of God. And I think we have to understand that because a lot of Christians don't. A lot of believers say, oh, COVID-19. Oh, well, now we've, we just have to sit back and do nothing until it finally goes away and, and leaves us. That's not the answer, folks. There are many people that are saying that COVID-19 is here to stay, or at least the after effects of it. And that we're going to continue having uh, to be told to wear masks and social distancing and hand sanitizers and the, uh, the remnants of COVID-19, even after they come up with vaccines and so on, that is never going to leave us. That's what some people are saying. Some experts are saying that. Are they right? Are they wrong? We don't know. Uh, many of us had never heard of COVID-19. Well, in fact, until they labeled it, right? Uh, they discovered it last year in December of last year. That's why they called it number 19. Did you know about COVID-18? COVID-17? Did you know about any of these previous COVIDs? Some people, but most of us didn't. We're blissfully unaware. And all of a sudden, pandemic happens. Why? What? What is it? Oh, it's COVID-19. Well, our world has changed in the last six months. COVID-19 is part of the work of God. I hope that we can come to realize that, that it doesn't take God by surprise. And God in his infinite wisdom has allowed COVID-19. And there are things happening. And the church of Jesus Christ, the, of the living God, needs to learn to live by faith. We need to learn to operate and to live and function and please God within a world of COVID-19. Don't be like people just, you know, with the bus stop mentality. They're just going to sit and wait it out at the bus stop, you know, until the bus comes and takes them away or something. That's, that's a mistake. How in the world are Christians supposed to operate? It's by faith, by faith. Listen, I'm going to share a little something with you. Um, this wasn't part of the message today, but it happened to me this morning at 5.30 in the prayer closet. And at 5.30 in the prayer closet, I'm praying and I'm agonizing in, in prayer and I'm reading the scriptures and I'm, I come upon something and I say, Lord, that's exactly what I've been asking you for, to do somehow for me is to give me some kind of assurance. I've been praying for the 104 building for a long time. Many of you don't realize that, that I pray morning and evening in earnest for the 104 building. Many of you don't realize that I take a trip up to the 104 building before I come into church six days a week, six days a week. I'm driving up, driving around, parking and praying. I think the security guard is getting to know me, but I do that. My wife and I were in the car and we, we do that and we park and we pray. And I'm looking to the Lord, Lord, what's your will here? 
If it's not your will, Lord, no problem. We'll just walk away from it. We'll never bring up the subject again. But is it your will? Lord, look at all of these six reasons here that we can use that building to glorify you. What's your will? And I, I read something in Acts chapter 18. And this happened this morning at 5.30 a.m. And Paul was in the city of Corinth and he was pretty discouraged. And it says, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace for I am with thee and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee for I have much people in this city. And right there I stopped and I prayed, Lord, this is what I'm talking about. I said, Lord, you gave Paul some encouragement, some assurance. And that's what I want you to do for me. And as I was looking at verse nine, it's like the Holy spirit opened the eyes of my understanding to the second half of the verse. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. And it's like the Holy spirit said to me, keep on praying, keep on praying. And he reminded me of Hebrews four sixteen. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. And so I think God answered my prayer at five 30 this morning. And he encouraged me, keep on praying, keep on seeking, keep on asking, keep on knocking. It's by faith. How are we as Christians supposed to live in a COVID-19 world and please God at the same time? And the answer is by faith, by faith, by faith. And today we're going to look at the power of faith. Now I'd ask that you would bow your head and close your eyes as we pray together and ask the Lord to teach our hearts. Loving heavenly father, I pray for every one of us. Lord, I include myself, increase our faith. Help us today, father, to see the power of faith and how to turn it on, how to open the faucet or flip on the switch. Lord, I pray for every one of us here today that we would really get the idea that life for the Christian is a life of faith. And we're to live that way every day until you come and take us home. Now, heavenly father, use the scriptures and the power of the Holy spirit today to increase our faith in Jesus name. We ask, amen. Now we're in Matthew chapter 13. And I'd like you to look please at verse number 54. And it says here, and when he was come into his own country, that's the country of Nazareth. He taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, whence hath this man, this wisdom and these mighty works. So Jesus came into his hometown of Nazareth. What do you go there for? He went there to teach the people and give them an opportunity to be saved. That was Jesus ministry for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And in another place, he said, he is not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus was on a mission to get people saved. By the way, we've got the same mission folks. Let's not forget that Jesus said, as the father hath sent me, so send I you. We're all in this together, folks. The same mission. Now, with your, your thumb there in Matthew 13 or a marker, I want you to turn over to, to Mark chapter number six. Would you do that? We have here the parallel account. 
Mark chapter 6. Follow with me, please, as I read from verse 1. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things, and what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and of Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Underline that word in your Bible. They were offended at him. Verse 4, but... And Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could not do, and, and he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a, sick, a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief and went round about the villages teaching. And so we have the parallel account right here. Verse five tells us, that Jesus healed a few sick folks. That was it. No more miracles. That was it. The, Jesus had the power to raise the dead. He had the power to open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. He had the power to walk on water. He had power without limit, without measure. The spirit was not given by measure to Jesus. He had everything. He had all of the power and he was there in his hometown of Nazareth. But all he did was heal a couple of sick folk. That was it. Nothing more to it. Nothing more in the way of miracles. The question is why? Why is it that Jesus only did a tiny little bit in this town of Nazareth? Verse two and three. Look at it again in chapter six. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished saying, from whence hath this man these things and this wisdom? What is this wisdom which is given unto him? And even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. And essentially what the people were doing is they were questioning Jesus' credentials. They said, what? How did this guy get so smart? Where, where, where does he come off? You know, thinking that, that he's some big teacher. They were questioning his credentials. And it's pretty sad when you become more concerned with a piece of paper than with what a man can do and, and uh, who he was. And Jesus was God in the flesh and he could do anything. You know, as I as I read this, I sat back and I thought, I wonder if Jesus had gone to one of the Jewish divinity schools and gotten a, a doctorate degree after his name. I wonder if these people would have been more willing to listen to Jesus. Had he, if it was Dr. Jesus, huh? If, if he had some kind of degree after his name, would these people in Nazareth have been more willing to listen to Jesus that day in the synagogue? If he had some degrees after his name, if he had the credentials of a Jewish divinity school, because that's what they were questioning. Jesus had never been to one of their, their uh, Jewish divinity schools. Did you know there are some churches that will not hire a pastor unless that pastor has two or three degrees after his name. Did you know that someone, you know, that fits, that really fits modern modernism. Someone once said that the church has been dying by degrees for many years now. And I think there's some truth to that. Well, look what Jesus said in verse four, Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor 
but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. There's the answer there. It seems that Christ was honored other places, but not in his hometown, not amongst his own people, not amongst his own household. You know, even his brothers and sisters didn't believe in him until sometime later, at least anyhow. Did you know that it takes faith to see Jesus as the savior? Many people will acknowledge an historical Jesus, but that's as far as it goes. I was watching a YouTube about a man who spent 40 years in the ministry, in the Anglican ministry. And all of a sudden he decides to question who Jesus is. And he starts going into some kind of strange idea that Jesus of 2000 years ago never existed. And rather it was a Jesus of maybe 3,500 years ago in Egypt that existed. And I'm watching this man make a total idiot of himself, but that's the world. Here's an unsaved guy in the ministry for some 40 years. Can you imagine that? Why a guy would ever waste his life, not even saved, but he's in the ministry. I don't know. Maybe the, the dental plan, they had a good dental plan or something. I don't know, but uh, what a, what a disheartening little YouTube to watch. It takes faith to see Jesus as the savior and to receive him into your heart. It requires faith. And yet many people are not satisfied with that. And it's almost like they're saying before I receive Jesus as my savior, I'll tell you this. I want him to answer me a few questions I have about the world. If there really was a a God, why is there suffering? Why little children have to suffer? Have you ever heard anyone say anything like that? Yeah. That's a very typical, common, unsaved, darkened mind mentality. If there really was a God, oh my, oh my, if only they could hear themselves speak. And there are many people that they don't want to, they don't want to receive Jesus as their savior until God answers all their questions about the dinosaurs. Oh, listen, I've studied all about the dinosaurs. You can't tell me. You know, they don't exist. And, and if they, those dinosaurs, millions, billions of years old, eh? And you answer me that first. And then they don't want, they don't want to receive Jesus until number one, they get questions like that answered. And then that, number two, they still won't receive Jesus until they get their theological questions answered. Theological questions. What are you talking about? Oh yes. Yes. I want to know where Cain got his wife. You know, Adam and Eve, they, they had Cain and then Cain went and got married. Where did she come from? Well, wouldn't you like to know? I know where she come from and you know where she come from too. They want to get questions like that answered. And then supposing God answers all of these questions about the world and all of their so-called theological questions, they still aren't ready to receive Jesus as savior. No, they want many miraculous proofs. Well, if he is the savior, have him uh, darken out the sky. Oh, that was just a coincidence. All right. Have him pick up that piano and move it over here. Oh, and if, if Jesus were to do it, they'd say, where are the strings? That's impossible. It's a trick. It's a magician's trick. You know something? The Bible talks about the faith of a child. And Jesus himself said in, in uh, uh, Luke 18, He said, verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive 
The kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Since when does a little child have to have his theological questions answered before he believes in Jesus? Since when does a little child have to have these questions about the world and suffering answered before he receives Jesus? Since when does a child have to see many miraculous proofs before he'll repent of his sin and receive Jesus as his savior? It's not, they're not built that way. The children are are built with a much simpler, better faith than many of us adults. And many adults cloud the issue. Oh, you tell me if I turn on that switch, this light will come on. (laughs) Yeah. You're not going to make a fool out of me. Huh? Boy, I'll tell you, I know someone who flipped on one of those switches and nothing happened. You're going to tell me if I turn on that switch, this light's going to come on. What do you take me for? Whereas a child son, if you go turn on that switch, this light will come on. Okay. And off they go and do it. And Jesus said, except you become as a little child, you're not going to get saved. You're never going to enter into the kingdom. You'll never see the kingdom. The faith of a child. You know, the people at Nazareth, they stumbled over the fact that Jesus grew up there in their town. They stumbled over that in their village. Jesus didn't have fancy degrees after his name. And I think they stumbled after that. You know, I got thinking about this and let me ask you today. What do you think? Would Jesus listen to me now? Would Jesus have been a better savior if he had a doctorate's degree after his name? Would he have done a better job dying for your sins on the cross? Could he be a a better great shepherd to lead you better? If he had a doctorate's degree after his name, what do you think? What's the answer? Mm, Many of you are shaking your head. No, you know, it's true. It's not going to make Jesus a better shepherd, a better savior, a better King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If he had all of the doctorate's degrees after his name. Nah. So in Mark chapter six, verse three, they said, is not this the carpenter? That means that Jesus took over the family business. Joseph was the carpenter. Remember that? And Jesus would have learned the carpentry business at Joseph's knee and kind of grow up in the family trade. And when Joseph passed away, we don't know exactly when he passed away, but he passed away maybe for 10 years. Jesus took over the the family business, maybe from when he was 20 years old to when he was 30 entering the ministry. We're just speculating. We don't know. But the fact that he was a carpenter, many people laugh. The infidels of this world, they look at the story of Jesus and they say, ha ha ha. Look, there's your savior. He's nothing but a carpenter. Ha ha. And yet these same idiotic infidels will turn around and praise a tyrant like Peter, the great. If you know anything about him, Peter, the great was a tyrant. He had his own son executed. Peter, the great was, was not a nice guy. And yet in 1697, Peter, the great laid aside his regal robes. And he went into the shipyards of Holland and started with his hands, learning how to build ships so that he could learn how to build a Navy for his country. And the infidels look at Peter, the great laying aside his regal robes and, and taking up tools and building ships. And they applaud a tyrant like Peter, the great. And yet they scoff at Jesus for being a carpenter. Now, is that not stupid? 
He was a carpenter. The first thing we learn about faith, the first thing we learn about faith is that it does not stumble over the corrupted wisdom of this world. Psalm 1, 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. The people at Nazareth, they stumbled over the fact that Jesus never went to their divinity schools. What? Him teach us? Huh? He's never been to our divinity schools. There's no degree after his name. He's just a carpenter. They stumbled over the fact of who he was. Faith will believe that what the Bible says about Jesus is true, that he is God in the flesh. Faith will believe it. The faith of a child. You tell a child, you know who Jesus is? No, sir. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus is God come in the flesh. Oh, okay. They have no problem with it. That's what faith does. The first thing we learn about faith is it doesn't stumble over this corrupted mindset of the world. The second thing we learn about faith is that faith looks past beyond the humble circumstance. Jesus was a humble Lord. I hope you'll agree with that. Amen. He wasn't a proud, stuck up, stuffed shirt, snoot up in the air kind of savior. He was a lowly, humble savior. He is a lowly king of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is a humble Lord. And I'll tell you something else. The cross is a humble instrument on which he provided salvation. He did not come to this world as some king with flowing robes and sit upon a throne. He came as a humble Lord and he died on a humble cross. The cross is a humble instrument. Did you know the apostles were all humble men? Galilean fishermen, most of them. Uh, One was a despised tax collector. They were humble men is what they were. And I'll tell you something else. Grace Baptist Church is a humble church. We don't own a large, gorgeous, beautiful edifice, do we? Do we? No. Grace Baptist Church has to pay rent for these quarters. We don't own a great big stained glass edifice with big spirals. We don't own a hundred acre campground. We own the pews you sit in. That's, you know, we're a humble church folks. Some people, they don't want to go to a, a church like this for that very reason. I'll tell you though, the living room of my home, was the humble place where this church began. And a cardboard box was my first pulpit. That's a humble beginning. And then, of course, we moved to the Bear Creek Park Pavilion just down the road. That wasn't much better. No, it wasn't. Daryl, you remember those days. He does. Yeah. Boy, we had trouble in the summer and we had trouble in the winter. We had trouble in that place. It was a humble place. Pacific West Baptist college is a humble college located here in a humble church. Some people seem to think that they got to travel halfway around the world 
in order to find the wisdom and blessing of Almighty God. And that's not true. It's right here in our own backyard. Um, I'm going to take you over to 1 Corinthians, but we're coming back to uh, Matthew and Mark. But 1 Corinthians, I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, all this is in the context of faith and learning how to turn on the faucet. Flip the switch. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Please look at verse 26. Um, Tell you what, why don't you help me? Huh? You help me read. You read out loud with me. Verses 26, 27, 28. Three verses. Can we do it? Yes. Yes, we can do it. We'll do it by faith. All right. Verse 26. Let's begin. Let's read out. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. And the reason for all this is verse 29. Read it out loud. That no flesh should glory in his presence. That's why God wants to walk humbly with us. Humility is, it's the fertile ground that faith grows in. You know, the proud, the stuffed shirt. Oh, you'll never get me down on my knees. Uh, You'll never get the blessings of God, my friend. You'll, You'll never know the joy and the power unless you're willing to humble yourself in the faith of a child. So what I'm saying here is the first thing we learn about faith is it doesn't stumble over the wisdom of the world. It just says, ah, the wisdom of the world, get it out of here. The second thing is that faith looks past humble circumstances and humble things. Faith looks past all these things and faith sees the church of the living God. Now Hebrews chapter 11 verse one says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Did you catch that? You don't see them. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. You don't see the electricity flowing in the water, flow for the water. Yeah, right. Try and keep clear of the water, the wire. You don't see the electricity flowing in the wire. You'll see the results of the electricity. Maybe when you turn on the switch, you don't see the water flowing in your pipe, but you'll see the results come out the other end. When you open the tap, faith sees the unseeable. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. You don't see the stained glass, but by faith, you see the church of the living God. That's why you can come into a place like this and you can look around and say, well, I don't see any stained glass. There's no big pipe organs. Hmm. But it's the church of the living God. I feel it. I know it. And that's what faith does. It doesn't need all these fancy dancy explanations and degrees and things. Faith just knows. Back in 1975, 
my faith told me I was separated from God because of my sin. Jesus was the way to God. And on April the 6th, 1975, I put my faith in Jesus Christ to save me. I repented of my sin and I received Christ as my savior with the faith of a child. You say, what happened? He saved me, came into my heart, changed my life forever. That's been over 45 years. Oh, you're fooling yourself. Yeah, for 45 years. I could fool myself for a day, a week, a month, maybe a year. I couldn't fool myself for 45 and a half years. I couldn't. There's too much evidence of new life. I've been married to my wonderful wife for over 39 years. We're in our 40th year. You know, after, I should say, on the very day we got married, we were at the reception, you know, and our facial muscles are aching with all the smiling that you do when, on that day you get married. And a man came up to me and said to me, well, do you feel married? And my answer was no. But yet, was I married? Yep. I was a married man, but I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it. The feelings come later. By faith, I believed that I was married. And later the feelings come. And that's exactly how it works, folks. Now, back in Matthew chapter 13 and, and Mark chapter 6, and, and uh, we find that the Nazarenes stumbled. They were offended. That's the word here. They were offended. The word offend means to strike against. That's what the word offend means. And these uh, people of Nazareth, they, they stumbled. They, they felt offended. They felt like they'd been slapped across the face. When Jesus got up to teach them, they felt offended by, by Jesus humble birth, by his humble family, by his humble occupation as a carpenter. Did you know that Christopher Columbus tried to get financing for his vision, for his mission? He had this idea that you could get to the in, to India, to the Indies there by sailing West. He had this vision is I'm sure if I sail West, I'll come to India instead of this big arduous, you know, travel over land, we'll get to it by sea. That was his vision. He, his hometown was Genoa and he tried several times to get financing, but no one would finance him. They said, ah, Columbus, you're full of it. You know, you're an idiot. And so he left and he went to Spain and it was Queen Isabella who said, yeah, that sounds good to me. I'll take a chance on that. And he got financing from her. And in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue and he landed here in Surrey, close to it, the other side of the continent, right? He discovered the new world and who got to cash in on the rewards. It wasn't the city of Genoa, right? It was Queen Isabella of Spain. Spain really cashed in on the, on the booty, the bounty, the rewards. So, very interesting. Here, the people of Nazareth were offended by the thought of being taught by such a man as Jesus, such a man who at very best was only their equal. And many thought, oh, he's even beneath us. Isn't that something? Matthew chapter five, the Lord Jesus gave the sermon on the Mount in verses 29 and 30. He talked figuratively about if your eye offends you, or if your hand offends you, you remember reading that if your right eye offends you, cut it off. He was talking figuratively. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. He's talking figuratively, not physically, figuratively. 
You know, if, if these things are keeping you from getting saved is what he was saying, you know, then figuratively get rid of them. He wasn't telling us to physically actually cut our right hand off. If your right hand is committing sin and you cut that right hand off, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Your left hand's going to take over and your left hand's going to go and pick up where your right hand left off. If your right eye is looking at things that shouldn't look out. And so you gouge it out. Your left eye is going to pick up where your right eye left off and it's going to commit a bunch of sin. Jesus was not telling us to gouge out our eyes physically and cut off our hands physically. He was speaking figuratively, figuratively. If these things, your most precious things, your right eye, your right hand, if they offend you, keeping you from getting saved, you need to get those things out of your life so you can get saved. Point is there's hope for you. If you're, right eye offends you. If your right hand offends you, there's hope for you. You just figuratively get rid of these things. But listen, if you feel Jesus has offended you, there's no hope for you. And there's no hope. I think for these people of Nazareth either, because you cannot cut off Jesus Christ and expect to get to heaven. It's not going to happen. The third thing we learn about faith is that it obeys the voice of Jesus. Now the Pharisees, they wouldn't listen to Jesus, would they? The people of Nazareth, they wouldn't listen to Jesus. Now hear me carefully. How is it that some Christian people can read the words of Jesus and still not obey them? How is that even possible? that Christians can read Christ's words and not obey them. This blessed old book is not an old dusty book of man's thoughts and man's ideas. This is the book of God. It's God's book. It's alive folks. The book of, of Shakespeare, any of his writings, they're dead. Shakespeare's dead. And all of the poems and, and plays he wrote, they're dead literature. They don't comfort you in the night. When you have troubles, you can't run to Shakespeare and get inspiration and encouragement. Since when has the books of Shakespeare ever put together a marriage, a broken marriage? When has there been any seminar to heal marriages and they teach and preach out of Shakespeare? Since when have the writings of Shakespeare ever cleaned up a man out of drugs or alcohol? Huh? And yet that blessed book right there, that's the answer. This is God's holy book. It's God speaking to you. Like at 5.30 this morning in the prayer closet, alone with God, and I cry out to God and the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart, through the book of God. Man, I was encouraged. I've read a lot of Shakespeare. I haven't read all of his works, but I've read a lot of his books. It's never spoken to my heart. Never. Like the word of God speaks to my heart. I'll tell you. It's only when we actually obey the Bible that's when the blessings come. Oh, it's so dark in my house. It's so dark. It's so dark. Why? Do you not have electric power? Oh, yes, yes. It's there in the wires. 
Have you been paying your electric bill? Oh, yes, all paid up. Oh, it's so dark in my house. What am I going to do? Why don't you turn on the light? There's a, there's a, a light, a, 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 an enlightening thought. <laughs> turn on the light. Oh, I wish I could take a bath. I wish I could take a shower. Oh, do you not have water? Oh yeah, there's lots of water in the pipes. Why don't you turn on the faucet? You see, it's until we obey the book. That's when the blessings will come. Faith, the power of faith. Faith opens the tap. Faith turns on the switch, turns on the light. That's when the blessings come. You want the power of God in your life and the blessings of God. You need to just obey the book. Now, look, you're in Matthew 13. Look at, in, look at verse 58. Here's the results of Christ's trip to Nazareth. Verse 58. And he did not many works, many mighty works there. Underline these words in your Bible, please. Because of their unbelief. That's why. That's why he didn't do great, wonderful miracles in Nazareth. And he wanted to. It's the same Jesus today. He wants to do great things in your life. He wants to answer your prayers. Listen, you have trouble with your children. Jesus wants to answer your prayers. You have trouble in your finance. Jesus wants to answer your prayers. Well, why doesn't he? Well, why don't you turn on the switch, open the faucet? How do I do that? You obey the book. You obey what he says. Say, well, how do I know what he says? You start reading. You start reading and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you start reading. Well, where do I know where to start? Well, a suggestion you may want to start in the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter one, verse one, start there. Read your way through to Psalm 150. You may want to go into Proverbs. You can read a proverb a day, one chapter a day. I mean, there's 31 um, chapters, 30, 31 days in a, in a month. Read one chapter a day. You can go into the gospel of John, or the book of Acts. You can start reading there. You read and you pray and God will answer you because God will direct you. He knows what he's doing, but not much happened. Not many miracles because of their unbelief. Quickly, we got to finish up here. The last thing we learn about faith is that it will trust. It'll actually trust Jesus to do some pretty mighty works in our time. Now I want to show you something. It's in chapter six of Mark. Look at it please with me. It's, it's a tiny little word and you'd just pass right over it. If you, if you didn't know what I'm about to tell you, Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter six, verse six. You, you, are you there? Okay. And he, what's that next word? Marveled. And he marveled. You say, what's so special about that? If you study your Bible, you'll find that there was only two times in Jesus ministry that he ever marveled. There was only two times that he ever marveled. One of them was actually back in um, Matthew chapter eight. And that's when a Roman centurion sent word to Jesus as my servant that I love is very sick. Please come and heal him. Jesus is on his way to heal the centurion servant. The centurion then sends word and says, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. 
And Jesus, when he heard this, marveled. And he said, I've not found so great faith. No, not in all Israel. He marveled over the faith of this Roman centurion. And the second time that Jesus ever marveled was at the lack of faith from the people of his own hometown. Only two times that Jesus ever marveled once over the great faith of the Roman centurion. Number two, over the lack of faith from the people, the Jewish people of his own hometown. Now, the question I have for you today is this. What kind of faith do you have? What does the Lord think of your faith? As the Lord looks into your life and looks at your faith. Remember the just shall live by faith. You remember that if you're here and you believe you're saved and on your way to heaven, then it needs to show in a life of faith. Faith is reading and believing what God says and then acting upon it. And as the Lord Jesus looks at your faith, does he marvel at how great it is or does he marvel at how little it is? Now that's a legitimate question. How does the Lord see your faith today? Jesus said in Matthew nine twenty nine, according to your faith, be it unto you. Matthew nine twenty nine. It's a good verse to write down. Matthew nine twenty nine. according to your faith, be it unto you. You want to see your loved one saved according to your faith, be it unto you. You're out of work. You need a job according to your faith. Be it unto you. You want to know God's will for your life. According to your faith, be it unto you. Little bit of faith, little bit of answer. Lots of faith, lots of answer. According to your faith, be it unto you. Wow. Faith normally always includes something for us to do. When we get saved, our faith has us to open the door of our heart, to repent of our sin and to receive Christ. That's our part. And the Lord's part is to come in and save us. To see the miracle of people saved. What's our part? Well, we get busy praying and witnessing to them. And we'll see people saved. That opens the tap, right? You want to see the miracle of our church owning its own building? And I hope you do. Well, then what is our part? Our part is to get busy praying and donating to the building fund. You say, what if you don't have any money to donate? Hey, no problem. God has all the money. Ask him for it. Lord, would you give me some money out of the blue so I can give it back to you in, in the building fund? You remember we were doing that? Yes. No. Remember that? It's been a few months. I know that. But uh, I, I was, I was willing to take the lead on that one. And I encourage each and every one of you do the same. Follow suit. Keep asking for God. I'm not made of money. I don't know if maybe you are, but I'm not. If you are made of money, just reach in and grab some and put in the building fund. Lord, be praying and be, be giving to the building fund. Jesus wants to do miracles like that and so much more in and through our lives and our church. And I, th- I believe this, folks, that Jesus is looking for people who will not be offended in him. And will simply trust and believe what he says to be true and then to do it. Because that's what faith is. 
It's believing what Jesus said is true and then acting upon it. And so we're going to conclude here. Simply put, faith is like a muscle. You have to use the muscle. If you don't use your muscles, then they're going to get shriveled and stiff. Some of you play a baseball once a year or something. And the story is always the same. You know, you have a lot of fun playing baseball, but then the next day you're full of aches and pains, or maybe it's basketball or volleyball. You do it once a year, whatever. And the next day it's, Ooh, wow. Ooh, ooh, my hamstrings. Ooh, my chicken strings. Do we have chicken strings? I know we got hamstrings. Oh, my gizzard, you know, Oh, I'm just in pains because you don't use those muscles. That's why you don't use those muscles. And then all of a sudden you call upon them and, Oh, they're not there for you. Faith is like a muscle and you need to use it every day. You need to use your muscles every day. Your faith muscle. Otherwise it's going to grow weak. Faith believes that what Jesus says is true and acts upon it. It's simply the faith of a child. Son, if you go turn on that switch, all the lights will come on. Oh, I believe you. And I'm on my way to do it. That's what faith is. And there is tremendous power in faith. You say, pastor, where do we start? You start with the small things, the small things. Now I'm going to give you one. In fact, I'm going to give you four, write them down quick. Number one, honor your parents, honor your parents. They say, doesn't apply to me. My parents are dead. No, no, it still applies to you. You honor their memory. You honor them. You put up a picture, a nice picture of them on the wall. You honor them. You speak nice about your mom, about your dad. Maybe your dad was a drunkard and your mom was a, a streetwalker or something. Uh, you, you do not talk evil about your parents. Say, but, but my dad used to beat me like that. See, and my mom, she used to beat me like that. How can I possibly talk nice about them by faith? Not by feeling. You don't feel like talking nice about people who beat you, but they're your parents, the parents God gave you. And by faith, you say, well, Lord, I sure don't feel like it, but here goes. Thank you for my mom and my dad. I don't know why you gave me that mom and that dad. I don't know, but Lord, thank you. Anyhow, say what happens? You keep doing that and the feelings follow. You see, one of the problems why as adults we get all messed up is because we violate that very verse in Ephesians chapter six, verse two, honor thy father and mother. And then the promise goes on that God will bless you in the very next verse. And so we violate that and we wonder why our lives are, are in such turmoil and mess. Start honoring your parents. Say, My kids don't honor me. Do you honor your parents? No, but that's beside the fact. No, first honor your parents. And then you can teach them to honor you. And God is the same. He will bless you. You do this by faith, not by feeling. He will pour blessings into your life of joy and peace. And he'll start to supernaturally make the, the things go well for you. He'll do that. If you will honor the parents he gave you, he will honor you. You do it by faith. There's a good place right there to start. I'll tell you another place you can start. Number two is regular daily devotions. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many here have regular 
daily devotions where you get alone with God, read scripture, get on your knees and you pray earnestly. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'd lay money. I'd lay odds that a lot of Christians don't do it. And their reason, oh, I'm so busy. Mornings I get up and I'm so groggy and dozy and I have to have 10 cups of coffee just to, just to get dressed. And then out the door, I go to work. Well, you ask God what you can do to fix that. But you do it by faith. You say, well, where in the scriptures does it talk? Act 1711 is a good place to start about the Bereans being more noble than those of Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily. And that's what you and I need to do as born again, believers on our way to heaven. Are the Bereans more noble than we are? I should hope not. You need to spend the time, make the time. That's your investment in God. You do it by faith and you watch God will bless you. Number three, I'll give you another one here. It's weekly giving of tithes and faith promise offerings. Oh, the Bible is full of God's promises. First Corinthians 16, two upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Every week you need to be giving your tithes and faith promise for missions. You do it by faith and you watch give and it shall be given unto you. That's the promise of God. Number four, scheduled church attendance. These days we have to say scheduled. It means you've got to put your name on a list. You can't just show up and hope to get in the door because there's already 50 people on the list. You can't get in unless there's a, someone doesn't show up. You got to schedule. So start scheduling yourself, get into regular church services. In Hebrews 10, 25, we have the word of the Lord and it says not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. Don't forsake the house of the Lord, but I can only come once a month. Then come once a month, but don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because that is a violation of the word of God. Hey, praise the Lord. We can at least have 50, right? It's better than zero, isn't it? So let's get on a bandwagon. And by the way, very important. This is a little commercial on behalf of my wife. She is the one saddled with the job of trying to fill up the attendance Sunday morning, Sunday evening. And so when you put your name on the list and don't show up, sends her into a tailspin. Now she's got to frantically try and find, because there's people on waiting lists and she's scrambling to try and get, you know, the names all filled up. So if for some reason you have to cancel, you give her as much notice as possible. Trying to help you out, honey. Trying to make her last longer. <laughs> you can help me. <laughs> so go easy on my wife. Okay. But schedule your church visits. Now, listen, COVID-19 is acting like an enemy, but I'll tell you part of the COVID-19 business is nothing but fear. Look how many weeks now we've been in operation. No COVID. There is no one to my knowledge, no one uh, connected directly with our church that has COVID. No one. If there is, I want to know about it. 
we thought maybe someone might have had, but it turns out we were wrong. They tested negative. No one that I know of connected directly with our church has COVID. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you, Lord. There's no reason. There's no fear reason to stay away from the church. Now, listen, if you're upset with God, you're upset with someone in the church. If you're upset with me, maybe that'll keep you away from church. But even that's not right, is it? So you come by faith. So I don't want to go to church. Come by faith. The feelings will follow. We'll love you anyhow. We'll take good care of you. Soon things will be the way it should be. Faith always precedes feelings. You do these things. You do these four things. And it won't be long before God starts to pour more blessings in your life. Listen, I've gone way over time. We've been trying to keep things on the short. If you've noticed lately, we've been trying. But folks, this one is so important. I just went a few minutes over and I am sorry for that. So let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that there is a way for the power of God to flow in and through our lives. And it's simply by faith, the faith of a child that believes what Jesus says is true. And then we get busy acting upon it. Dear Lord, there's so many ways that we can get this power flowing through the faith. Father, I pray you would bless your people and would increase faith from this point forward. And I ask you, Father, to prove it by giving some answers to prayer and some little miracles in people's lives. May we soon hear testimony of great things that you're doing in the hearts and lives of your people because of their faith. And we'll love you and praise and thank you because thou art worthy. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen. Well, by faith, we want to give our gifts to the Lord today. We've got an offering box on the back wall. You all know about this. And on your way out, if you want to put in your tithes and faith promise, you can do that. If you forgot it, uh, if you want to make use of the electronic means of giving, you can do that while you're here. Um, online, I want to want to ask you, dear folks watching uh, from your home, if you would at this time, go to the donation page and make your donation of your tithes and offerings. Please help keep God's house strong. You watch, give, and it shall be given unto you. That's the promise of God. I'd like to read for you just a couple of verses out of Psalm 105. Every Sunday morning, I try to bring a couple of verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Listen to this. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Praise the Lord. Wonderful to be saved. To have a great God as our father. At this time, we're going to call upon Pastor Silver, he's going to lead us in another hymn. And then we're going to finish off, I think, with a few announcements. Pastor Tim is going to come soon.